Well, we're in the book of Job today, and we're going to see how God uses suffering to teach Job some things about who God really is, to point him in the direction of hope, a direction he was not, he was not heading toward. You know, even those who live a righteous life never finish learning who God is, what he's like, and what he's doing. Not Job and not any of us. We, we get to the point sometimes where we're sailing along pretty well. Our faith is, is solid. Our theology is, is sound. And, and that's good. But when trouble comes, we all need hope. We need hearts of growing hope. We need a better hope than the fact that maybe things are going to all work out okay. We need a greater hope. And as much as we'd all like to learn it a different way, it's through suffering that it teaches us what we most need to walk with God in hope through hard times. So in the book of Job, chapters 32 through 37, so if you have a Bible or your device, you can look at it there, but um, we're not going to, of course, go through every verse of every chapter. Uh, That would be... uh, Too long even for me. So we're going to see that in these chapters, when we learn more of who God is through suffering, our our hearts respond with hope. When we learn more about who God is through suffering, the response of our heart is hope. Suffering teaches God's justice and we respond with humility. Suffering teaches God's goodness. And we respond with trust. And suffering teaches God's majesty and we respond with awe and praise. Humility before God. Trust in God. Awe of God. All leading in the direction of hope in suffering. A better hope. Where suffering doesn't collapse us, but it actually builds us up. Now we all know, know, That God is just, God is good, and God is powerful. But do we know, do we know with our heart those things? I'll have a simple test for us. Do you, when you enter suffering, well, first of all, do we even enter suffering? We avoid it. I avoid it a lot, as much as I can, right? But when God brings it along, or when he allows it, Can you enter suffering and feel the pain that suffering brings and hold on to the hope at the same time? If you can do that, or if you're growing in that, then that is what we're talking about when we talk about learning who God is in suffering. Well, I think that's what God has for us to see today in Job chapters 32 through 37, the speeches of someone named Elihu. Now, remember in the book of Job, we've seen Job lose everything. He lost all the stuff. He lost his relationships. He lost his, his wealth, his health, everything. And we've seen his three friends, and they responded. They responded with some good things. They were silent and present. It's always good in suffering to have friends like that, right? But... They said some really unhelpful things, really unhelpful. 
And so in this part of the movement of the poem, remember this is a poem, and it's, so it's not just a story movement, but it's an, it's an emotional movement. It's designed to evoke emotion. And so there's a movement from, from the friends to a different direction. There's a character that enters and he's been sitting off to the side, actually just sitting on his hands, waiting to be able to speak. And his name is Elihu. Now, I relate to Elihu sometimes, and you may relate to him too. Have you ever had something important that you wanted to say? And it wasn't because you felt important, but it was because you really believed that you saw something that needed to be said about God that others weren't seeing. And you wanted to say it. You actually wanted to be asked to say it. But because of your situation, that that didn't happen. And for Elihu, that was the same way. Because in the ancient Near East culture, a young man couldn't speak until all of the older men had spoken. So he had to sit through each person giving speeches, just waiting, 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 until it was his turn. And even in the whole chapter of, of uh, chapter 32 of Job, is him giving reasons why they should listen to him, why should they should pay attention to him. The text says that Elihu was young and he was angry. Three times in the first five verses of chapter 32, it says he burned with anger. This is some strong anger. But don't get the wrong idea. He was not a hothead and he wasn't a spoiled brat. He really believed that Job was wrong about God and that the friends were wrong about God, and that he wanted to set things right. And here's a simple summary of what he said, of what was being said. The friends said, Job, you are suffering because you sinned. Elihu says, he's going to say, Job, you're sinning in your suffering. Not you're suffering because you sinned, but you're sinning because you're suffering. Now, did Elihu get it right? Actually, no, he didn't get it completely right. He started moving in that direction. There's a speaker coming. That speaker is God, and he gets it all right. But you have to come back next week to hear about. But Elihu has four speeches in Job 32 through 37, and we're going to focus on the speeches in chapters 36 and 37. So let's look at these speeches and see how... Learning about God and who he is, learning from the heart, gives hope in suffering. First, remember, we find hope in suffering when we respond to God's justice with humility. Earlier in the poem, Job has questioned God's justice, saying, Why doesn't God have mercy on me? I've done, I've done what he asked me to do. It's not fair. Any children out there ever said it's not fair? Anybody? Any adults out there ever said it's not fair? Oh, I see those hands. So you know what he's talking about. And the friends are saying, you know, God's justice is just for punishment. You do something wrong and God's justice requires a punishment. But Elihu says something a little bit different. He moves it along a little bit. Look at chapter 36, starting in verse 6. It says, Behold, God is might, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. 
He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. And then to verse 8, And if they, the righteous, are bound in fetters, held in the cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgressions, that they have acted defiantly. He also, notice this, he also opens their ears to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. So Elihu does something that the, that the friends don't do. He connects God's justice with God's instruction. The purpose of God's justice is not just to name a wrong and punish it, but to guide into a new way, into a new hope, into a better hope. And this is the path of hope that God has been leading his people toward through, from, from creation. Throughout the ages, always pointing us to a better hope. And what's the right response to a just and wise God giving instruction toward a better hope? Well, what's your response when you're going the wrong way and someone gives you some better instructions? It's humility, right? I I don't know everything I need to know. Now, that doesn't mean I don't want to know. I still want to know why God. But for some reason, recognizing God's justice together with his instruction lets me know that that's not the most important thing I need to know is the understanding. The most important thing I need to know is that God is just and he's for me. And because of that, I can respond with a humility that says, maybe I don't know. With humility, we realize that we need the hope of God's justice. That is the thing we need the most for hope. And this isn't easy, Elihu says, because we, like Job, like all God has created, we just tend to slide toward self-sufficiency. Verse 19, Elihu asks Job, Will your riches or all the mighty forces keep you from distress? And Elihu says, no, the things that ha- those are the things that have to be broken before God can lead Job into a new understanding and a better hope, a hope that doesn't depend on wealth and relationships and health. See, when we're free to give up self-sufficiency and let God teach us what is true about his justice, then we respond with a humility that's that frees us to to a better hope. And we also find hope in suffering when we respond to God's goodness with trust. When we respond to God's goodness with trust. In chapter 37, Elihu further makes his case for learning about who God is with this beautiful and poetic description of not just creation, but God's role in it. I hope you were really paying attention to the words of the songs we sang and to the words that Carissa read because these things are, are part of what Job is, is, uh, is hearing from Elihu, the description of creation and about how God works in it. Verse 30 says, He scatters light. He commands lightning to strike. Thunder comes from his mouth. You know, a few weeks ago, I 
Verse 6 had greater meaning to me. For he says to the snow, fall on the earth. And verse 10, by the breath of God, ice is given. And the broad waters are frozen. What a picture that that ice is not just a weather phenomenon. But God actually participates in that so much that his very life breath out of it flows the phenomenons of nature. Every movement of every bit of nature is by his hand. But it's verse 13 that reveals God's goodness. And Carissa read this too. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his land or for love. The word here is hesed, that beautiful Hebrew word of covenantal love. That is who God is. He's good. And his goodness comes to us, whether for correction or for the land or for, for love, for good. I sometimes have the illusion that I can control things. I know none of you have that issue. But I'm fully aware that I cannot control the weather. And when suffering comes, I wonder what would happen if you and I recognized our ultimate lack of control for everything. And if we met that together with God's goodness. And I think if we did, our response would be a lot less worry. And I think we would trust God far more. We would know his purposes are good. And we could rightly respond with the trust that he so greatly deserves. Well, the third way we find hope in suffering is when we respond to God's power with awe. And the end of chapter 37 has Elihu bringing Job to what he can take from those word pictures of God's power in nature. In verse 13, he says this. Hear this, O Job. He says, pay attention. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. See, when we look at the clear evidence of God's power all around us, it ought to stop us. It ought to draw our full attention. It ought to drop our jaw. I remember a time when my niece, she was young and she was from visiting us from California. And while she was here, we had one of those great big old Texas thunderstorms. You know them well if you've been around here for any length of time. You know, the kind with the sheets of rain and the the thunder so loud that it rattles your windows. And then the cracks of lightning and the lights up the sky. It's just, I'm sure that's what Elihu was thinking about when he wrote about the storms. He had to have been thinking of a Texas thunderstorm. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) So... My niece had never seen anything like this before. And so when the rest of us were just doing our normal thing, not really paying much attention, Shelly was sprawled out on the floor looking out of our sliding glass windows, just taking it in, just giving that storm her full attention, more full than any movie she'd seen or any TV program she'd watched. She just sat there in awe. It got her full attention, and God desires and deserves no less. 
And when we see things like that, when we see things that God alone can do, we can't help but feel a sense of awe in response to God's power. Elihu asks Job a number of questions, much like God is going to do to Job in the next chapters, pointing out the vast power of God and our inability to do anything like what he does. And then the end of the storm points to a grand picture of the majesty of God. Verse 22, out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The Almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. Justice and abundant righteousness, he will not violate. It's possible Elihu was talking about the end of a storm when things have been dark and they just brighten up. It's even possible, some say it might have been something like the northern lights. That amazingly powerful. Whatever it was, it was beyond compare. It was so glorious that Elihu was filled with awe and he was trying to lead Job further in to that power and that kind of hope. Humility before God's justice and trust in God's goodness and awe of God's power, those all lead, lead Job towards the direction of hope in suffering. So how do we respond like this? I'd like to respond in these ways. You probably would too, but I I don't seem to be able to consistently, every time suffering comes, go to these places. Well, do you remember Elihu's instruction about self-sufficiency and how it doesn't lead to hope? I think that is true here. The kind of hope that God is constantly leading us into is a hope so glorious and so certain that we can't fully realize it on our own. So when your struggles are not leading you into hope, when you feel powerless to respond rightly to who God is, that's good. God is bringing you toward a better hope. The same way he brought Job by showing you how insufficient all you can provide for yourself really is compared to what he has to offer. You are closer to real hope than ever. We need a true hope, a better hope than we can provide for ourselves. And God in his mercy has been leading us to that hope all through history, to our only certain hope, Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully human. He took on flesh to bring the justice and goodness and power of God to a world without hope. He suffered and he died a horrible death so that we also might enter suffering with not despair, but with the certain hope of resurrection life. So whether we believe again and again and again, or whether you believe for the first time today, respond to God's ongoing invitation to a certain and a glorious and a better hope In Jesus Christ, no other hope comes close.
and no other hope will satisfy. Well, how does this work out in the day-to-day? I want to give you a couple of possibilities. Um, One, spend an hour outside this week. One hour. And when you get outside, look up, look down, look all around. You can do this by yourself. You can do it with your family, your spouse, a friend, even your whole connection group. But spend an hour outside and talk with God about what he's done and what he's made and who he is. Let it impact you on a heart level. Don't just look, but experience. Ask God to find ask God to help you find hope in who he is through what you see and through conversation with him. And if you, second thing, if you know someone who's going through a hard time, now that could be a big hard time or a little hard time, it doesn't matter. So that pretty much includes all of us, right? If you know someone who's going through a hard time, ask them one question this week. How are you finding hope? What is God teaching you about himself to grow your hope right where you are? And then there's a really important second follow-up question to that, and that is, how is Christ providing what you need to live in his glorious hope? How is Christ providing the resources that you can't provide for yourself in order to respond to God's glory and power and goodness with hope? And then share your own struggle, because that's how we grow together, right? We help each other see things about God, and we help experience the the power of Jesus Christ alive in both of us. It helps us. It encourages us. I want you to imagine, if you will, that I, I have a jar that's full of water with some sediment at the bottom, and the water is clear, and it's still, and Things are very calm in the jar. And there is some dirt, but it's at the bottom, pretty much out of sight. It's not affecting things too much, and things look good. And in very many ways, there's nothing bad happening in the jar. And maybe your life is a lot like that jar. Things are calm, pretty calm. You're doing pretty good. You have... You have a good theology in place. You you read your Bible. You pray. Fellowship with other believers. You serve. Things are things are going well. And then something comes along that shakes the jar a little bit, just a little. Maybe you go without power or water for a few days, or maybe you feel guilty because you didn't go without power and water for a few days. But then maybe the jar starts being shaken a little more. Maybe you have a health scare or a friendship falter or someone says something about you that isn't true. You're shaken. Or or maybe it's just a full-out storm. A marriage 
that's failing, yours or one you're close to. A church disappointment, those are incredible storms. Whatever it is, something is stirring you up and all the sediment that's been there so calm and so out of sight starts filling the space. Seen by you, seen by others, and really making things foggy and hard to see. It's in those times when God is using that stirring, he's using that suffering to guide us into his hope, a better hope. To stir up and reveal the wrong directions of our hope. And to lead us into certain hope, the hope he has always been leading us into and still is leading us into. The hope of new life offered to us in Jesus Christ. New life that we begin to experience here and last through eternity. So let the learning style of suffering open your eyes so that in all Christ provides... You can respond to God's justice and God's goodness and God's power with certain and life-giving hope. Let's pray. Father, you are so far beyond what we can understand. And yet your love is so great, far greater than we can know. We thank you that through Jesus Christ, we are given a clear, a certain, and a better hope. And I pray that you would use the word to convince us that no matter what is happening around us, that you are constantly leading us in to the hope of Jesus Christ, to the one true better hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.